0: Zero nine. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
1: King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory. Lest I forget thy thorn crown brow, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget, guessing Lest I forget. show.
0: Today's broadcast is pre recorded.
2: The message today breaking the lethargy breaking the lethargy. Almighty God, would you come now? Would you speak plainly to our hearts? Would you make it absolutely clear the path that you've called us to follow? Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. I see a lethargy among Christians that's terrifying to me. And if we look carefully at Isaiah 63, we find that that lethargy is a sign of God's judgment. If you look in Deuteronomy, it will tell you clearly that when God's people begin to sin, he begins to leave them. And when the presence of God begins to withdraw, lethargy sets in. Casualness sets in. And so when we look at the modern church in America, perhaps even if you look at your own life, you see a lack of earnest desire for Jesus, a a coldness of heart, a casualness of heart that causes you to not want to pick up the scriptures and just devour them, but instead wants to cause you to go somewhere where you can have some fun, where you can chill, where you can relax. That's a sign of God's judgment against his people because they have chosen to walk in sin. They've chosen. I mean, there's no such thing as lethargy in the Christian family if there is not Rebellion and sin also in that person's life. So, when a person makes a decision that they're going to do what they want to do, in spite of what they know they should be doing, lethargy begins to set into their heart and settle into their bones so that they become less and less interested. And if you look carefully at Romans, the first chapter, it indicates that the sign of God's final judgment on America will be giving everyone over to their lustful desires, whatever those might be, including sexual lust, but much more than that. Lust for entertainment, lust for money, for wealth, for riches. Every kind of lust that rises up in the heart comes as a sign of God's judgment upon that people now god begins to take away our things our toys even our livelihood to cause us to press in very deeply into the cross and into jesus so that there is a, a passion because we've got skin in the game uh I watch as people walk into church and walk out casually. They have no skin in the game. It doesn't matter to them. It's an event. They can walk in. They can listen. They can leave. They can do whatever they want to do. Uh, they don't need to give any offering. They don't need to do. They don't need to do anything. They're there like they would go to a restaurant, and if they don't like the menu, they will leave. If they don't like the music, they'll go somewhere where they can get a better band. Uh, It's this lethargy that begins to settle into the body of Christ like cement. The second part of this is that it's very hard, once that lethargy begins to settle into our heart, it's very hard to turn and begin to seek the face of Jesus. Because as soon as we begin to try to read the scriptures, we go to sleep. It's boring. Our minds have been seared by the world. So on one hand, God is giving the church over today to lethargy. And on the other hand, he's not allowing us to repent. We have no interest in repenting in the modern church. All of that has driven me to re-examine the basic premise of the gospel. And I'm convinced that if we truly began to look at the scriptures and ask what is the gospel of Jesus Christ, it would pretty much destroy the American institutional church. Because most of us have an approach taught to us from very early that is not a biblical approach to the Christian life. And this wicked approach that I have been immersed in most of my life causes lethargy to rise up on every corner, steals the passion, it steals the the sacrifice, it steals the commitment. And I've had to fight against this and fight against it all of my life. And now the last months have been bitter battles with this issue. And I'm finally beginning to come through and understand what the fundamental issues are in this battle for spiritual life. I want to share this with you, and I want to do that by using an example of the rich young ruler as we find him in Mark, the 10th chapter. Now, you'll also find it in Matthew 19, 19-22, and Luke 18, 18-23. But let's go first to Mark, the 10th chapter and begin to look at this rich young ruler and his understanding of how he would come to Jesus and recognize that his coming to Jesus is the same way we've been taught to come to Jesus. And it was utterly faulty. It was totally unsuccessful. Now, as backdrop, let me just say, I was raised in the Orthodox church with orthodox theology, dry, boring, no one was excited about it, there were no testimonies of victory and joy, it was dead. And so the answer that arose in the American evangelical church to this deadness of orthodoxy was to go to a relational, psychologized gospel. It was to begin dealing with the gospel of Jesus from a therapeutic viewpoint in terms of how does this impact me. And so scriptures were begun to be taught in the pulpits across America. I went to some of the early conferences in the Presbyterian Church where this was being taught this approach of what's in this for me? How is this going to help me? So you come to the rich young ruler in verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 17 of chapter 10. Now, while he was going out on a road, that is, Jesus was going out on the road, after one having run up, And having knelt before him, he was asking him, good teacher, what must I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, this was a clean-cut young man. He was powerful. He was a part of the leadership in the church, in the Jewish faith, in in a business also. He was very wealthy. The synagogue, he was respected. This was someone that anyone who's looking for recruits would want to grab. He has money. He has skill. He has talents. And he's very interested in how he can get ahead. He's ambitious. And so he comes to Jesus, running up to Jesus. So obviously, he didn't care what the public thought about him. He didn't wait and ask, as Nicodemus did, for a private interview with Jesus. He was totally unaware of his own personal dignity. He didn't need to worry about it. He had position and power and money. This was the new hot teacher on the market. Everybody was streaming to him. He was working incredible miracles. He wanted immediately to get to this teacher and ask his question. Good teacher, what may I do that I may inherit eternal life? So obviously in his heart, there was a question about whether or not he was saved. There was a discomfort in his spirit about whether he was saved or lost. And he wanted to come to this teacher to be affirmed that he was saved and to be given additional instruction regarding what he must do. So I want you to see the approach. This man has achieved much for his young life. He is powerful politically. He is powerful because of his money and his resources He is publicly recognized as someone of great integrity. And now he wants to know, what can I add to my resume to make me even better? It was about him. It was about what he could accomplish. It was about how he could live holy. Okay, pastor, if I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I do this, and this, and this. Is God happy with me? Am I saved? That's the rich young ruler's approach. I want to know what the hit list is, and I'll do it. I don't care how hard it is. I'll 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 do the hit list because I want to inherit. You notice he doesn't say, That I might gain eternal life. It is, I want to inherit it. I want this as my legacy. I want this as my reward. I want to be a part of the family. So he would not be asking these questions if he did not think that perhaps there was something more he could gain that would give him additional leverage in this pursuit of God. Now, Jesus is spoken to, good teacher, what may I do that I may inherit eternal life? He is not recognizing Jesus as God. He is simply recognizing Jesus as a good teacher. And he wants some additional advice regarding his walk with God. Jesus says to him in verse 18, Why are you calling me good? No one is good except the one, the God. Now what's interesting in this is that Jesus in another place calls a man good. Okay? But he was was rebuking the rich young ruler. And he was saying to him, You're starting from the wrong place. You can't get to heaven from where you've started. You have to start at a new place. And the place you must begin is to recognize that God is holy. That God dwells in inexpressible light. That this is not about you. This is about God. So don't come to me, Jesus is saying, complimenting me. Don't come to me wanting some additional advice on what you can do. Instead, you have to recognize there is a holy God in heaven and you have offended that holy God. And there is judgment now spoken against you. And there isn't anything that you're going to be able to pull out of the hat to patch this up. You can't patch up what you've done to God. You can't repent quickly and say, oh, okay, God, I I recognize I got out of line last night, so I repent. Now, am I okay again, God? Am I okay? Am I on my way to heaven? Will you bless me now, God? This is the rich young ruler. No, God says, no. Doesn't work that way. You know the commandments. Now he begins to do a very interesting thing. He begins to search this young man's heart with the law. Because by the law, we discover our sin. And this man was utterly unconscious of his sin. He had punched every card he could imagine. He had done every good thing he could think of. And he was now coming and saying, isn't there one more thing I can do to make sure I get to heaven? And Jesus is saying, no. I don't have one more good thing for you to do. Instead, let's take a look at the law. Let me search your heart and see whether you are, in fact, who you say you are. And so he began the search. He said to him, you know the commandments. You may not commit adultery. You may not murder. You may not steal. You may not bear false witness. You may not defraud. You must honor your father and your mother. And this young man answers. And he said, teacher, all these things I kept from my youth. So in other words, he's saying, look, I'm faultless. And these things were taught to him as a child. I'm sure he grew up under very strict conditions and he has kept all of these commandments. He's never committed adultery. He's gained great wealth by hard work with honesty and with integrity. He's honored his mother and his father. He's not stolen or cheated. So he's saying to Jesus, look, I've done all that. Now tell me what I really can do. Because something's not right yet. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus loved him. Because he knew that he was now going to take the knife of the law And cut this man's heart out. One thing you lack. You must go sell. All that you have. And give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. With one slash of the law this man's heart is cut open. And he begins to see the reality of a holy God. He begins to see the reality that there's no way he can keep his wonderful life and still enter into heaven. If there's anything we want in our culture, it is to be successful and then add Jesus to a wonderful, successful life. Jesus is saying, no, you're not going to be able to do that. There is no quid pro quo. There's no deal you can make with God. Now, had this man actually lived utterly clean? No, you know he had not, and I know that. Jesus said that if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her. He said if you've already been angry with your brother, you've murdered him. So Jesus would take the law much deeper and had done so on the mountain, in the Sermon on the Mount. But this was not the primary issue of sin in this man's life. The primary issue of sin in his life had to do with money and selfishness. Now, yes, he gave alms to the poor. That was required. But his security, his life Security was grounded in his wealth. I think we all have to ask what is your life grounded in? What is it that gives you the confidence to wake up and walk? Is it your retirement? Is it your bank account? Is it your job? Is it your family? What is it that gives you the courage to wake up in the morning and face another day? And this man was not confident waking up and facing the day. He thought he needed one more thing. And Jesus said no one more thing will not do it. We have to get to the very heart of what the sin is by which you have offended Almighty God. And you must take actions. You see, there's there's a casual attitude among those that God is beginning to give over to the power of darkness. It's a casual attitude that sees no big deal in making decisions that our conscience tells us is the wrong decision. I've seen men and women earnest to follow Jesus, and then they'll make a decision that is diametrically opposed to what they know is right. They're making the decision in the flesh, and their interest in Jesus begins to wane the casualness begins to take over their life. Their earnest zeal to give is gone. Their earnestness to follow after Jesus begins to dissipate. All because they acted in a way, in a very specific decision to go against the known will of God in their heart and their conscience told them not to go there, but they did it anyway. And so they have these wonderful phrases. I fell into sin. No one ever fell into sin. If you are in sin, you jumped into sin as a volunteer to the devil. You don't you don't accidentally get into sin. You don't you don't just kind of edge into sin. Sin is a voluntary decision of the heart to say no to the Holy Spirit and say yes to my flesh. And when I think back in my own life to those places where I said yes to darkness. I saw the Holy Spirit grieved from my life. I saw him retreat from my heart. And I saw that now with his absence, I had to step up my game to keep up the appearance. But I was standing on shaky, sinking, Sand, because I'd made a decision about God and I had offended Him. I cannot then simply say, oh, I'm sorry. Please forgive me, God. No, it requires time and energy to agonize before God and search out in the Spirit what I've done and why I've done it and examine the heart and the mind and the soul and say, is this the direction I choose to go? If I'm going to go to hell, let me at least be conscious of my decision to go to hell. Let me be conscious of my decision to resist the Holy Spirit and please the world, the flesh, and the devil. I meet people all the time who are in total rebellion against the God of heaven. I met one yesterday. Oh, how are you, Pastor Ray? I'm good. How are you? Oh, things are wonderful. Then why is your face so dark? Why is the cloud over your face? Pastor, No, why is your face so dark? You're walking in rebellion against God. When will you surrender? Oh, I have my gods. I've surrendered to my gods. Okay. Conscious decision, I'm going to go to hell. I'm not going to serve Jesus. That person is much further down the road towards salvation than a professed Christian who unconsciously blocks so that it's unconscious and takes a path that is under destruction. At least this person was honest about their rebellion against the Most High God. As we move toward revival, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to increasingly be poured out and we will become increasingly conscious of our standing before a holy God. And as that consciousness is granted us by prayer and supplication, we must respond By saying, yes, Lord, whatever you say, I will do. Now, the Lord gave this man direction. Go sell all that you have. Come and follow me. This is the only recorded person who was invited to be a disciple who said no. I think this young man would have replaced Judas and we would have had 12. I think he called him in the place of Judas. But this man's saying no. And the scriptures say, having become shocked at the word, he went away grieving for he was having many possessions. So there was an absolute unwillingness on this man's part to become a disciple of Jesus because it was inconvenient to him It was too hard for him. He loved his money too much. He loved his life too much. And now the sword of the Spirit comes piercing through him, and he has to make a decision. You would have thought Jesus would have said, well, now here's a very promising young man. Let's see, what are the four spiritual laws? Let's lead him through it, and let's ask him if he will receive me as a personal Savior. You see, if you go to Dr. Jeremiah's webpage, he's a national public speaker on radio. If you went to his webpage, you'll see the first thing he says God loves you. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Jesus never started the work of conversion with those words. We have been taught that God has a wonderful plan for us. But if we'll get honest, he's going to pierce us with the sword of the law and he's going to confront every wicked thing in our hearts. And he's going to ask us, will you come and follow me and get real and lay aside the world, the flesh, and the devil? And it's not going to be very pretty. I mean, can you imagine this man's synagogue context? If he had gone to the synagogue and said to the leadership, I've decided I'm going to sell my business. I'm going to give you the money to pass out to the poor. And I'm going to go and follow this new teacher, Jesus. What would they have said to him? You've got to be crazy. You're out of your mind the world will always say to a Christian, you are out of your mind. This is insane. Don't do it. It'll cost you too much. And Jesus uncompromisingly says, either come and follow me or walk away. Those are the only two choices Jesus will give a man. Either come and follow me or walk away. And he will not begin the conversation by saying, You know, I really love you, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. And if you'll come and follow me, I'm going to give you a seat beside me on the throne of God. Are you kidding me? He doesn't start that way. Does he love us? Oh, he loves us. Does he have a wonderful plan? Yes, but a very painful plan. Is he going to give us a seat on the throne? Absolutely he's going to, and we're going to judge the angels. But oh, the price. The price, as we recognize it's not about us. It's not about our suffering. It's about God. And it's about Jesus. And we're not going to make a deal with him. Are you glad you followed Jesus this far? My life is is almost over. If I had 10 lives to live, I'd live every one totally utterly given and dedicated to Jesus Christ. From every appearance, my life has been a failure. I have a few stars that I'm very proud of. And I look at you all. That God has done an amazing work in your heart. And I praise him for that. If I died today, would I say it's enough? Absolutely. Because Jesus has been served. Jesus has been lifted up. Have we been successful in the eyes of the world? No. What a crown of glory that is. And now as he begins to move in revival power, and I know that's what he's going to do, we're going to say it was all Jesus. And he is going to open the way. He is going to provide all that is necessary. And the cost is minuscule compared to the glory of being at oneness with the God of heaven and earth. It's not about you, and it's not about me, and it's not about what we can get out of Jesus. It's about laying our life down. All that I have belongs to Jesus. All that I'm about is Jesus. Now, if you know that you've made choices and decisions of the flesh and not of the Spirit, it's time to repent of that and to forever dedicate yourself to not walking away from Jesus but selling all that you have and giving to the poor or whatever it is that Jesus calls you to. You understand, Peter had a house. I've been to that house. He... He was not asked by Jesus to sell his house and distribute the money. Because Peter didn't worship his money or his business. He worshiped the Lord of heaven. Now, he didn't get there easily. He denied Jesus. He got in Jesus' face and said, You're not going to go to Jerusalem and be crucified. And Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. There were rebukes. But Peter's heart said, yes, Jesus, whatever the cost. So as he is being crucified, his wife crucified first. He is speaking to her kindly, lovingly, be strong. There's a reward on the other side. Endure the pain. I love you. And then he is crucified upside down. Pouring out his life, blood, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now in the National Prayer Chapel, we're going to have to begin to come very close one to another. We're going to have to encourage each other and strengthen each other. Brother Ed last night got maybe an hour, hour and a half of sleep. He was at the church this morning at 7.30. Why? So he could pray for the announcements that were going to be made in the sanctuary today. You know what that says to me? It says that number one on Brother Ed's heart is the work of salvation for the lost. Another says, Pastor, I can't be, that's too hard, I, I I can't do that. Okay, I understand. We're going to have to come very close to one another and encourage one another because much is going to be asked of us. And the question is, what is first for you? Is Jesus first? Is revival and turning America around? What price would you be willing to pay if you knew by your action and your testimony, you would help turn America back to the Lord God of heaven. What would that be worth to you? It's worth everything to me. There's nothing more important than giving up my life for the cross of Jesus Christ. I trust you feel the same. So we're going to hold this service, Revival Now. The first service, Pastor Dan is going to lead the praise and worship time. Me is going to be on the keyboard backing him up. It should be beautiful. I need your prayers that I will be able to speak a very straight, strong convicting word to these precious people who will come. And then I'm going to have to have the wisdom to know whether or not to call for public confession of sin and getting right with God. I've never walked this road before. This is all new to us. But as I share this with you, I suspect if you're at all like I am, you begin to see all the tentacles of your life as they have gone out to grab and establish yourself. And now, this call to revival for America how am I going to have time to do any of this? How am I going to have the energy? How can I possibly do this? You have to make the decision. Is the cry of your heart revival now? Now it's interesting in the announcement I went off script and I said to the people we do not want to talk about revival anymore. We want revival now and erupted all over the congregation amen amen they don't want to talk about it anymore either they want it they just want the real deal let's have revival well what is revival repentance confession of sin decision to give all to Jesus to become awake and serious to seek him with all of our hearts It's simply seeking righteousness. That's revival. And paying the price by not going against our conscience and not walking in the flesh. That's what we're going to call for on Monday night. That's what we're going to say. Please pray. Almighty God, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you are calling for revival now. And you have told me that the hour is very late. Lord, as it looks like we're going into an atomic war, with perhaps American cities, even Washington, D.C., utterly destroyed and burned with millions of lives lost, if not here in North Korea. Lord, on every hand, it looks like destruction and economic collapse. Lord, I plead, hold back the hounds of war that your Holy Spirit can come and do a work in the hearts of people for war, destroys revival. Lord, I pray for your mighty power to be poured out on Monday night. I pray for your power to be poured out in this fellowship that we would stop all casualness or playing with sin, if that be the case. Almighty God, come. pray in your name. Amen.
3: All to Jesus I surrender.
4: Seed has been planted, we labored in the field, but still the land is bare. The thunder and the lightning, They we this assurance know, they are bringing to us blessings.
2: You cannot live wrong and die right. We cannot continue to sin and believe we are saved. I'm Pastor Ray Greenlee. Listen Monday through Friday to Pilgrim's Progress at 1 p.m. at WAVA 780. The gospel is that Jesus, by His blood, will forgive your sin and set you free of all sin right now.
3: Revival dot church.
2: Revival in Woodbridge. Revival dot church. Revival in Woodbridge.
3: Revival dot church.
2: Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at NationalPrayerChapel.com or our sister website, revivalnow.church.
0: God bless you. We love you.
1: present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ
2: our Lord.